Baselli bounces around. Baselli's there. It's going to be. Late through an opportunity here. Flag stays down. Shot. Welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer, Matt Pfeiffer and Joe Shell. The title of this episode, Football Up, Football Down. So, the Syracuse soccer team are the ACC champions. They won the ACC tournament over the weekend, a 2-0 win over Clemson. Uh, Lorenzo Baselli had a goal 20 minutes in the game. Uh, Gianna Liebold had a goal assisted by Kurt Kalev 37 minutes into the game. And Syracuse beat Clemson for the second time this season to finish with a 14-2-4 record, 5-1-2 in conference. Redshirt senior goalkeeper Russell Shealy is the 2022 ACC Tournament MVP. He had four saves in that championship game. And uh, Syracuse outscored uh, or outshot Clemson 15-12. And Coach Ian McIntyre last week was named the ACC Coach of the Year. Joe, you know, we, we talk about football and basketball and lacrosse and women's basketball and women's lacrosse a lot on this episode, on this show soccer's never really gotten any love here but they're the best team on campus i i think we've done ourselves a disservice not paying more attention to this team i mean i i will have the same uh disclaimer that i had last week i'm not a a huge soccer person i don't know a whole lot about the sport in general but they are fun to watch they're exciting they play a creative exciting brand of soccer and um, we're, we've been missing out, not not watching them a little closer because they are true national title contenders. Watching them in the ACC championship finals, I mean, Clemson is a is a, a powerhouse program. I know they only came in as the the eight or nine seed, but traditionally they're they're a powerhouse, and you know they have talented professional caliber players on their roster, and we just outplayed them in every aspect of the game and. You get out to a a lead of two before the half, and I mean you you can kind of just ride out the rest of that win, and that's what they did. They got out to a, a pretty decent lead relatively early in the game, and just um, didn't have to take too many chances at that point, and just kind of uh, finished the game out. But I'm excited to see where they go from here if they can win the big tournament. Yeah, so they are of course in the big tournament. Uh, they are a three seed in the NCAA tournament. So that means uh, the way that the NCAA soccer tournament works, those seeded teams get a bye. So Syracuse gets a bye to the second round. And they will play the winner of the University of Pennsylvania and Rutgers. Uh, so Penn is 12-2-2. Rutgers is 10-4-6. and uh, That game will be played November 20th. Uh, Syracuse will play them, uh, play whoever wins that game. And then if they would win that, they will play either Cornell, Maryland, or Fairleigh Dickinson on November 26th or the 27th. Uh, just for everybody's interest, uh, the one seed is Kentucky. They're 14-0-5. The two seed is Washington, who is 15-1-3. So Syracuse is right there with them uh, with a 14-2-4 record. Uh, now, this should be noted, Clemson is in the same corner of the bracket. So... Syracuse could end up having to play Clemson in the quarterfinals if Clemson would get there and Syracuse would get there. I don't necessarily like that. I never, you know, you beat a team twice. That that's already asking a lot. Beating yeah, a team three times. Yeah, is... but I mean, having watched that ACC championship game, we outclassed them in every every phase of the game. And I would like to think that when faced with them a second time, they would be able to do it again. Clemson. A third time. There, a third time. There, there really weren't many. I don't know what went down with the regular season matchup, but in the the finals, there, there really weren't too many 
competitive moments or close calls for Clemson. So um, hopefully we could mirror that if it comes down to that same matchup. Well, if it does come down to that match, match <coughs> Clemson is a six seed at 13, six and one. Uh, now that game would be December 2nd or 3rd. Uh, if Syracuse should get that far, the semifinals are December 9th and the national championship game is December 12th at Wake Med soccer park, which is where, the ACC tournament title game was. So you got to give the, you got to feel good that if they make it there, they've already played on that field. They already know it. <laughs> already played, already won. <laughs> so that's great, great news. And congratulations to Syracuse soccer. That's wonderful to see. Uh, remember a couple of years ago, they actually made a run to the final four as well. So Ian McIntyre has very quietly put a very nice program together for Syracuse. They actually send a decent number of players to the pros. We've uh, talked about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've mentioned a, a number of weeks ago about how, uh, except for injury, you know, Miles Robinson would be a, a featured player on the U S team. And um, right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not recalling their names exactly, but I know there's a couple of players from Syracuse on the Canadian national team as well. So I was going to mention that. So uh, forward Tejon Buchanan, uh, he'll be playing on the Canadian national team in the World Cup. Uh, he was born in Toronto, grew up in Brampton, Ontario. Uh, he now plays for a team in Belgium, Club Brugge KV. Uh, but he played two seasons at Syracuse in 2018 and 2019. In 33 games, he had 12 goals and six assists. He played a bit with the New England Revolution of, the Ma- of Major League Soccer. He was on the 2021 All-Star team. And uh, now he's going to be playing in the in the FIFA World Cup. So best of luck to him. That's just great to see. Um, I know Syracuse had the longtime goalie of Toronto FC was also Syracuse. Um, I don't know if he's on. I don't know if he's actually Canadian or he's just living in Canada to play for Toronto. Alex Bono. I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he was a local kid, I believe, from upstate New York. But okay. I think he might actually been from Syracuse, but. Um, he had made a few training camps and I think at one point was like three on the national team depth chart for a goalkeeper. But I think his time on the national scene has kind of passed. I don't think he's been real involved lately. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's really great to see. It's great to see a sport, uh, like soccer doing well at Syracuse. Like I said, it's not, not a sport Syracuse is necessarily known for, but Ian McIntyre has quietly put a lot of success together. Um, I think he was a Daryl Gross hire. This is another one of those really good, quiet Olympic sport Daryl Gross hires that is playing out really well for Syracuse. He did a lot of good things for the athletic department as a whole. Um, yeah. Um, also worth mentioning the the passing of his predecessor as well. Jay, uh, Jake Krauthammel. Yeah. Just recently uh, Jake- passed away. Um you know, yeah. probably did a little more uh, for the football program than Daryl Gross did, but Daryl Gross did a lot of good things for for the rest of the athletics department as a whole. A lot of the Syracuse success of the 1980s and 90s in football can be de- um, can be credited to Jake Krauthammel, who uh, is the man who decided to hire Paul Pasqualoni and. Uh, you know, really put Syracuse football back on the map after oversaw the transition to the Carrier Dome. Absolutely. And Dick McPherson. And uh, yeah, I mean, that there's a man who, who did an unbelievable amount of good for Syracuse athletics and, and especially for the football program. And he saw the basketball program as well into uh, an era of great success in the 80s and the 90s. Early Big East days. Absolutely. And uh, so so we send our, our condolences to his family, his friends, the Syracuse community, uh, of course, uh, uh, you know, uh, we send 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 our condolences to all of them, um, and and thank you to Jay Crowhamel for all that he did uh, for Syracuse athletics. So, football, American football, not a good night for Syracuse in the JMA Wireless Dome. A thirty-eight to three shellacking to twenty-fifth ranked at that time, Florida State. Uh, this was the worst game of the season by a mile and a half, by 10 miles, by 100 miles. Garrett Schrader, 6-16 for 65 yards. 
Meanwhile, Jordan Travis just went off. He accounted for four touchdowns. They have three quarterbacks come in for Florida State. They all had completions. The one who only had one pass had a touchdown. Uh, just a mess of a night. 163 yards on the ground for Trey Benson. Uh, he was averaging 9.1 yards a carry. Uh, you're not going to win many games with that happening. 12 different Florida State receivers had catches. Just a mess. Just utter mess. The the little bits of silver lining that I tried to cherry pick out of the, the Pittsburgh game of, well, in the second half, the run defense went played pretty well. You know, that was all thrown out the window, disintegrated against Florida State. There was nothing positive to point to in the game whatsoever. Um, I'd go as far as to say that this is the worst Syracuse football game I have watched since the dark days of the Scott Schaefer era. It was just incompetence and the one thing we've always been able to say is that even when these Syracuse teams struggle or let games slip away they've always been competitive and they've always played hard and fought and this felt like a team that was kind of done like they they hit their breaking point and, and I'm not saying they can't get themselves back in it and win another game this year but at, at least in this game it felt like they kind of gave up and that was disheartening because I haven't felt that way watching a Syracuse football game in a long time. They've lost games badly without the sense of having given up, but they, I don't, I don't want to be accusatory, but it felt to me like they did quit a little bit and it, it wasn't late in the game. It was early in the game where it was just like, all right, this, this is how this is. This is how it's going to go and it's not going to change. And um, I, It's a game you probably could have turned off before halftime and I didn't because I hate myself and I sat through the whole game and I watched the whole thing, but I don't know what I was waiting or watching for. Um, all the things that have been concerns really all came to a head at the same time. The run defense was as bad as we've ever seen, which is saying something. Um, Garrett Schrader clearly was not okay. He's not effective. He couldn't move out there and he, couldn't even step into his throws, so we don't know exactly what his injury is, but it was affecting his throwing and his running. He was a statue out there. He looked stiff. He looked uncomfortable. And he was throwing flat-footed and airmailing his receivers, so something's wrong. And he really shouldn't have been out there. So that now leads into our conversations about Dino Baber's judgment, where I've been one of his most ardent supporters, and... I, I tend to, as I've discussed in the past, I let things slide because I try to be more of a realist and understanding like maybe we need to let some things go for the long-term health of the program because I've always felt that continuity was the most important thing for maintaining some semblance of success at a school like ours. But the fact that they put Garrett Schrader out there either means they have less than zero confidence in Del Rio Wilson, which I don't know why you would have less than zero confidence. I mean, the kid's struggling against Pitt. He had a bad game. He had a he bad had game a against bad Pitt, game. but I would think that he could have done better um, than what Schrader saw. No knock on Schrader. Clearly, he's not okay. Um, and that brings and, up this interesting point that Schrader this week is saying, I feel better than I have in three weeks, which, you know, I, I – at this point, I just feel like we've heard so much from Syracuse over the years or, oh, things we feel great. Like, I don't I can't take those words at face value. I'm sorry. We just need to get to a point where there's some depth. And if if Dino hasn't been able to do that yet, I know the recruiting services say that that we're not a, a good recruiting school and that Dino's not a good recruiter. But I feel like Dino's a good recruiter because it's not about the stars or the ratings. Dino gets good players to come to Syracuse. They may be two stars. They may be three stars. He finds diamonds in the rough. At a at a pretty high clip as far as I can tell. I mean, yeah. you know, I'd be curious what the offer sheets looked like for guys like Garrett Williams, for Michael Jones. I bet you they're not the most impressive offer sheets, and these guys are NFL players. So in that regard, I would say Dino Babers is a good recruiter because that's what you need to do. That's the way... You need to be a good recruiter to have success here. 
you know, I mean, my thing I always say when it comes to the recruiting services, it, yeah, my, my example, and I've probably used this on the show before, but I'll use it again. Uh, Penn State had a linebacker named Paul Pazlesny uh, several years ago, and the man won the Butkus Award twice. And, or, or the Bednarik, the, the, the Bednarik, whichever one was for the linebackers, I apologize for forgetting that. He won that award twice. He was a two-star recruit. Two. Two. Those recruiting services had him as a two-star recruit, and he won for best linebacker in the country twice. Meanwhile, Marcus Sales was what, a five-star recruit? It's a five-star recruit at a, was how it at many, a CBA. And how many games did he play like a five-star recruit? I can count one. The pinstripe bowl in 2010. That's it. That's yeah. the only game that he looked like a five-star recruit. And that's no offense to Marcus Sales. It's not – Yeah, you know, I'm he, not – I'm not dogging He wasn't a bad football player, but he wasn't yeah. a, a program-changing guy. And, I mean, he had the luxury of playing with Ryan Nassib for a couple of seasons, and he didn't put up big numbers that I recall. Yeah. But yeah, the, yeah, the reason I bring game. this up is because – to prove the point, I don't think Dino's a bad recruiter, but the main issue with the program is we have no depth. And if Dino hasn't been able to build enough enough depth to be able to survive the month of November as a football team, then are we ever going to get to that point? Because that's that's our Achilles heel is we cannot survive the season. Yeah, it's it's amazing how it happened. There's one year where they managed to oddly have a good November under Dino other than 2018. And that was 2019. Remember they, they had a really bad October and then they had a good finish in November. And maybe that was the opponents. It was Duke and wake forest at the end. Wake was a good team, but wake had to throw in the backup quarterback and it went to overtime. Anyway, Duke wasn't as good as like this year's Duke is. Um, I don't know. I, I, because that's why we can't win right now. We don't have the players to do it, and that is then having a trickle-down effect to the play calling and the execution. It all stems from the injuries and the players who are obviously playing hurt. We just don't <laughs> We don't have enough healthy players to game plan the way we want to game plan and execute a scheme the way we want to, and we're earlier in the year. I know we're playing better teams now, and that's a factor also, but that's not the only issue and it begs the question right of how much of this well well it begs two questions so one i have asked for years now the question of strength and conditioning and and i know that's more your realm joe you know you 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 did some coursework on you know strength conditioning physical you know athletic stuff um, that you can speak better to this than I can, but I, I just ask, like, in terms of injuries, and there are some injuries that will happen in football no matter what. There are freak injuries. It's a violent game. You're going to lose people during the season. But it just seems like we lose people at a clip that I just ask, is strength and conditioning part of the problem? That's the first thing. I, I like, wouldn't be I wouldn't be uh, too quick to, to throw them under the, the, the bus at all. I, I think we have some really reputable professionals in the athletic training room at Syracuse. Some of them are former classmates of mine. Um, I apologize. I, 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 I don't, I don't No, really No, because what you're saying is, you know, something a lot of people are saying, and I know you're not doing it in an accusatory fashion, but it is a topic that would, would be the common sense next step. And the way I look at it, um, I just think it's more, every school has this happen, but most schools are able to weather it better than we are. Um, I think the lack of depth leads to less rotating in and out of players. So your star players and your better players are on the field a majority of the time. And that's not really sustainable the way we, we go about it because we don't really have the players. I mean, you look, um, <coughs> sorry, you have to feel bad for uh, Jeremiah Wilson, who is out there as a starting cornerback who clearly is not ready to play college football. And they picked on him all game long. He's, He's just a kind of a small kid, and he's out there playing Florida State, where all their wide receivers are six foot four. Um, yeah. And then, but even Deuce Chestnut couldn't wrap up a receiver, and they were just taking our cornerbacks one on one and just saying, "I can catch the ball right in front of you, and you cannot tackle me." And they were correct. 
Um, You know, guys like Deuce, who we believe to be future NFL caliber talents, were just not able to get the job done. They were getting physically manhandled. And that was something we hadn't seen yet Um, beyond the usual issues of in the trenches. But our skill players were just getting physically manhandled. And it just makes you wonder how much of this is also it's 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 raining. It's starting to pour. And just how much of the struggles of the previous three weeks are just how much of it is mental. Did they hit a point where now like not not that I want to say I don't I just I don't want to accuse these kids of quitting. I really, really don't. But have they hit a breaking point? But you start playing different. Have they hit a, a breaking point of mental exhaustion where they're just not able to put all of themselves into the game on the field as they had been the first six games? You know, close game against Clemson, and then the season could have gone one of two or two ways from there, and then you come out and you get bullied by Notre Dame, and then it kind of just goes from there, and then you go on the road to Pitt where you know you always struggle and that doesn't go well, and can they come back, you know? And that's the biggest question going forward, and I don't know the answer to that. There are two winnable games here. I think it's going to be very hard to beat Wake, and and we'll get into the Wake Forest game. But it is a winnable game. Wake Forest is on a three-game losing streak. Wake's not the team we thought they were. They're not the team we thought they were. But they did go toe-to-toe with, you know, the first or second best team in the conference. Yeah, just like we did. Yeah. So, you know, it's – there are, and I would still argue that Wake has more depth than. Wake. Well, I was I was referring to North Carolina. Oh, well, yeah, we yeah. we went toe to toe. We didn't with, play North Carolina. We went toe to toe with Clemson, but I mean, right now you can make an argument that the Tar Heels are the best team in the conference. I I would not be at all surprised to see North Carolina beat Clemson in the ACC yeah. title game, so, which is and, already set. They, and they got in a shootout with Wake, and if Wake gets into a shootout against us, then you know they win. We're not going to keep up. Exactly. I mean, yeah. they're. Their offense is, is better than ours when both offenses are at their best. Yeah. So if our defense doesn't show up and a decent version of our offense doesn't show up, it's it's not going to be close. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, and, and the other question I ask and, and is the what happened if if depth is our consistent problem here? And I think we've agreed that year after year, the biggest problem has been our depth. 2018, we avoided the injuries somehow, right? For the most part, yeah. For I, the I, most as far part, as I can recall. Yeah. We avoided the injuries for the most part in 2018. If depth is the problem, does this mean that you almost have to get your bowl eligibility in those first six, seven games of the year? Yeah. Um, do, do you have to go six and two in the first two months to have a chance? I mean, you certainly can't schedule uh, your non-conference as if Daryl Gross is still your athletic director. You don't no. need to be traveling to to um, NFL stadiums to play elite programs. But if you want to, if you believe in building the program, then you need to test yourself once in a while, a little bit out of conference. So it's kind of finding out where you land. You know, if, if we're going to be competitive in some of these games and I would like to see them more often, but yeah, I, I mean, if you're going to need to, to run the table non-conference to give yourself a shot at a bowl game, I'd rather ask. just see them build a program that can survive the fall. It's a big ask. And, and look, I mean, the program this year was somewhat a victim of the way the schedule falls. Yeah. Notre Dame takes up one of those stupid out-of-conference spots. Um, otherwise, let's be honest, Purdue already filled the Power 5 spot, and you had your FCS opponent in there in Wagner. The other opponent probably would have been a Central Michigan, a Western Michigan, one of the MAC schools in Akron or something that Syracuse probably wins, especially if that game is early in the season, which is probably what it would have been in a normal scenario, and you're sitting on seven wins already. I think the way forward is that Dino needs to use the transfer portal like we've seen him do in the past and maybe lean on it a little more to build that depth because Syracuse has proven itself a fantastic landing spot for Power 5 guys who don't like where they are on their depth chart and – 
group of five players who have excelled at a smaller school. Yes. We are a great landing spot. You are going to play. You are going to play a lot. And if you play well, you might be on a good team. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, I still firmly believe this is a good football team. But it's the injuries. It's the yeah, I don't depth. think what we saw at the beginning was, was a mirage by any means. I think, obviously, there was some coming down to earth based on the opponent. But the first or second best team on our schedule being Clemson and Notre Dame is probably one of the two or two or three best teams on our schedule. They may, they may end up being the best. Yeah. Um, And and let's be honest, that Clemson game, Syracuse could have won that game. Should have won. And the Notre Dame game, was competitive in the end. You know, they, they tacked on a couple really late to make it look less competitive, but that was a competitive game. But that's the last time we saw this football team compete. Yeah. I mean, they have not scored a touchdown since the Notre Dame game. And I, they've got to score touchdowns. They've got to find a way. I'm not convinced Schrader is as healthy as he claims he is. Yeah, and I, I, I just don't. I I just don't see how you can be so far off, and then up. I'm better this week. Maybe he is, yeah. and I hope he is. But I I'm just. How much of that is just trying to appease a fan base that is getting antsy? Yeah, and I mean, I I tend to always think that. A lot of people want to call these coaches incompetent and think they know better, but I know better than to assume a coach doesn't know what they're doing. So if an injured Garrett Schrader is out there playing, it's easy to say like, oh, he shouldn't be out there. And I've said it. And I think I said it on this recording right now is that yes, you did. You know, he shouldn't have been out there, but I'm guessing there's something we don't know that is missing with Del Rio Wilson, where it's like he was not ready to play in that game or maybe Dino felt like if I put this kid out there with this offensive line right now I'm gonna get him hurt more than Garrett Schrader because I trust the head that Garrett Schrader has on his shoulders I don't know how the kid will respond to being thrown into that situation something like that right and then there's the Justin Lamson question right you know, Justin Lamson, I remember talking about his spring game, and he was amazing. Then he tore his ACL. Let's be honest. There was a real question we were asking. We kind yeah. of, I think, thought he was going to be the starter, maybe not week one, but we were like by week yeah, two, for three. as much stock as you can put into what you've seen with your eyes during a spring game, I mean, the kid looked legitimate. Yeah. He, played, I, he played against the first defense for a good portion of that spring game a defense that we now know when healthy is very very good yeah and and let's face it facing a guy like him might have been part of what made them as good as they are because he does seem to have the potential to be an elite quarterback and you know he certainly has the pedigree he went to a good high school he worked with ian book you know who was very good at notre dame you know there's all this all the you know every reason to think he'd be very good now the way it turned out, I still like Del Rio Wilson. I still think Carlos Del Rio Wilson could be a real good player for this team. He had a bad game against Pittsburgh. Every He's, quarterback has bad games. It's a typical young quarterback f- problem that we see time and again where he hasn't learned to throw in any manner other than as hard as I can. Yes. And, and yeah, I mean, which is teachable. Point- he can learn, he can learn to put more touch on his throws. He can easily learn that from Jason Beck and Robert and a, and they will, they will fix that. I'm confident. And those are two of the best people that you could have on staff. To and that brings me to the other point I was bringing up with the coaching staff and like, are they incompetent? Do they know what they're doing? I firmly believe that the play calling and the play execution on offense right now are severely handcuffed by personnel health issues. I just don't think they have the players to do what they want to do. Cause it's easy to say Sean Tucker should be more involved. Do you see what happens when Sean Tucker touches the ball? The offensive line is breathing into his nostrils before he can even take the football from Garrett Schrader. The best player in the world can't do anything with that. So I don't blame Tucker for not being effective. The offensive line Someone must be hurt or they just, as a unit, are in their own heads. They're, whatever it is, they are not effective. And I think it is leading to 
the complete inability to move the ball on offense. And that's really what's handcuffing our defense now is that we can't hold the ball. It's a three and out nearly every possession. I think it took our third or fourth drive against, um, against Florida state just to get a first down. And even then we only had six or seven first downs before garbage time. And that's just, there's until we find a way to move the ball, which it's been a few games since we've been able to have an effective drive, a single effective drive where you said, Oh, that looked like football. It's been games since we've seen that. And that's where this starts. If that can't be remedied, then we're not, going anywhere we're not going to win another game because boston college proves to be more and more formidable as this season continues down the stretch yeah and a lot of that that all changed when emmett moorhead became their quarterback and i mean phil jerkovich went out with an injury moorhead came in and he's changed that whole offense they beat a very good north carolina state team this past week they've they've been competitive they put up a lot of points against a good duke team the week before uh, Boston College is no joke, especially when you're going to be playing there on senior day. It, that is going to be a tough matchup. And, uh, and I would not be at all surprised to see Syracuse lose that one at this point. Uh, we got to do stars and demerits here. I, I mean, there's not, there's not a lot. Uh, oh, my God. I, I, just, I, mean, I don't even know where to go with this. I guess it's a merit to the whole offense. I mean, it, you've got to move the ball. I, I just – I know some guys – I mean, look, you, if you're a wide receiver, you can't fault the wide receivers for not – you know, the ball's not even getting to you. You can't do anything about that. But, you know, it just – they've got – they haven't scored a touchdown in a couple of weeks. You've got to change that so the, the whole offense gets a demerit. Um, I'm going to give a demerit to Max von Marburg, but also special teams as a whole. Um, our punting has been horrendous this year. It was horrendous last year. And to start out this year, it looked much improved, but we're falling right back into the same old patterns. Um, and despite all of our other deficiencies, we were just on a consistent uphill battle in the field position game. And we were always giving Florida State the ball either in our territory or around the 50, and we were always starting deep in our own territory. And even when your offense is playing well and your defense is is playing all right, it's going to be hard to win a game against a decent opponent if you continue to put yourself in that position. So special teams needs to improve. I thought hiring a full-time special teams coach would – would help. I thought the new punter would help, um, but it's bad. It's been all bad, and we don't cover kicks very well so that they're returnable for us. We are too soft in allowing yards when we kick it to the other team, and we are consistently putting ourselves behind the eight ball in the field position battle. Yeah. Yeah, things aren't going well. It's hard to imagine that we were talking about this team as 6-0. and And, and again, it, it, it comes down to the depth thing and what we were just talking about but so well, like i said not... i don't think it was all a mirage either i, I don't think either a, i think there's I... a lot a lot that factors in i i i think the team is a good team that injuries have just completely changed the makeup of the, the team and and again i do think there is an element of it rains it pours it's easy to forget these are 18 to 23 year olds and it's easy for them to get in their own heads you know and and i think we forget that a lot and I think that's just an important thing to keep in mind, too. Um, so, Saturday at Wake Forest. This is another team where the season started real solid. Uh, they went to overtime with Clemson, lost the nail-biter. Uh, and things have gone off the rails in the last three weeks for the Demon Deacons, too. They had that just disaster at Louisville with the eight turnovers, six and one quarter. And... Uh, they are now six and four and two and four in conference. They are on a three-game losing streak. Uh, this game is 8 p.m. on the ACC network. It is senior night for Sam Hartman and Wake Forest, and uh, that <laughs> I don't think is a good sign because Sam Hartman is probably arguably the best quarterback in the history of Wake Forest football. 
He has a 62% completion percentage for over 2,700 yards this season, 28 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. Now, most of those interceptions are in the last three weeks. Did they go? Sorry, did they go from John Wolford directly to Sam Hartman? I think so. That's insane that your two best quarterbacks in school history, both were probably four-year starters, if not three-year starters. I think they were both four-year starters, back to back. So for nearly a decade, they've had two quarterbacks, and they were both the best quarterbacks in school history. Yeah. I mean, a lot of credit has to go to Dave Clawson. He did something at Wake Forest that I don't think anybody thought was possible, and that was make Wake a very decent football program. And uh, look, I mean, they average 36 points a game. They give up 28, which is more than we give up, but they go for 437.7 yards a game. You could argue they've been the best football program in their state for the last five or six years. Um, I mean, until the last two. I mean, North Carolina now. They, is, this year specifically. This year. And I think there was one year with Trubisky. But as far as consistency. Consistently, Wake Forest is the consistent one. Yes. Wake Forest is consistently in a bowl every year. And I, that, again, that's something that I don't think people expected. Uh, what's amazing when you look at Wake Forest is how they spread the ball out. They get it to – they've got five different receivers with more than 300 yards. And that one, it's actually four with over 400 and one with 393. So he's going to hit 400. <laughs> and their tight end has 214 yards. Uh, you're looking at A.T. Perry. He has 774 yards on 52 catches and seven touchdowns. Jamal Banks has eight touchdowns, 499 yards. Donovan Green has 560 yards and five touchdowns. They have so many weapons they can get it out to, which makes you really concerned when you look at Kins. I mean, Syracuse is at real risk of getting gashed again if they're not careful. This is a real, this might be the best passing team in the conference, which is saying something because there are some good passing attacks in the ACC. And now there's a whole game of tape showing if you just be physical with Syracuse's secondary, they will fold like chairs. Yep. Now, uh, Wake Forest is not as good on the ground. Uh, They have, you know, their top running back is 534 yards. Uh, He only averages about 4.3 yards a carry. Although the way things have gone, you might not need for that to, you know, it might not need to have the good running game or, uh, Mediocre running game might still be enough. You know, I don't like this matchup. I don't like it. I think Syracuse will score some touchdowns. The reason I think Syracuse will score some touchdowns is because Wake Forest's defense is not their strong suit. Wake Forest wins games by winning shootouts. They outscore people. They've got a really great passing attack. Like I said, they might be the best in the conference through the air. So... Their defense doesn't necessarily have to be great, (laughs) Um, although it has burned them the last couple of weeks. I think Wake Forest is going to win this game. I just can't go against these guys on senior night there. I'm going to say Wake Forest 34, Syracuse 20. I I don't like this either, mostly just because of – how poorly we're we're playing and it's kind of at a a show me moment where it's I, I can't really change my opinion until you show me something and it's been so long since they've shown me something haven't seen our quarterback healthy haven't seen our offensive line be able to give any quarterback any time or give Sean Tucker any running lanes although Tucker might have been pretty close to 100 yards last week if multiple runs weren't called back on penalties. So we'll see if he's maybe starting to turn it on a little bit. But I've had this thought sitting in the back of my brain for about four or five days now. And that thought is one that we've said time and time again, dating all the way back to the early days of the the Doug Marone era. After the last month of football that we've watched this football team play, wouldn't it be the most Syracuse thing in the world to win this game handily for no reason at all? Yes. Yeah. With that in but mind. I thought that about the Florida State game, too. I still picked Florida State, but that, yeah, you're right. 
with that in mind, I don't I don't think that's what's going to happen. No one in their right mind can can say that right now, and I'm not certainly not going to put my name on it right now. But um, the thought's been lingering of like it just doesn't make any sense, which is why it might happen. But logic would dictate right now that we're going to continue to struggle to move the ball, even against a, a not so great defense, and we're going to keep putting our defense on the field, and eventually they're going to get tired against an elite passing offense and like I mentioned a few minutes ago Florida State showed that if you're physical with our defensive backs um, they can be beat pretty pretty easily especially without Garrett Williams out there so I I particularly right now don't really feel like it's going to be close I I think it might be another difficult to watch one um, because this offense is you know, been better than Florida State's. And you saw how easily Florida State put points on us, even with taking their foot off the gas at the end. So I I could see this going, I, I really hate to say it, but I could see this going like 41 to 10. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I To me, Syracuse wins if they get turnovers and do something with it. Getting turnovers hasn't been a problem for the Syracuse Which comes back to being able to move the ball. Yeah. Which yeah. is I mean, such a simple thing to say, but it's something we haven't been able to do in weeks. No. No, it, it's really bad. So, we'll see. Uh, this season not ending the way we won. I'm very curious. And, and I'll tell you, you, you put yourself in a very odd situation where you wonder, if you finish 6-6, six and six, if you lose the bowl game, it's a losing season anyway. I mean, you get to a bowl, you have 15 extra practices, but you know, six and seven after a six and zero starts is going to feel pretty awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we're going to move to opponent scores, but um, first we just have to um, unfortunately address something that that's a lot worse, and that is what happened at the University of Virginia. Um, three football players were killed uh, in a shooting. Last Sunday, when they came back from a play in Washington, D.C., um, Lavelle Davis Jr., who was a wide receiver, um, he was their third leading receiver on their team. He played in the game at, at the Dome this year. Caught a pass. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, Devin Chandler, who was another wide receiver, um, had not played this year. He was a transfer from Wisconsin. And Deshaun Perry, uh, a linebacker um, for the team. Um, they also had a, another uh, uh Junior running back named Michael Hollins was wounded, uh, and another student was also wounded as well. And um, um, we just send our condolences to the University of Virginia and um, to those players' families, and um, and we wish for a, a recovery for Mike Hollins and the other student as well. Um, you know, we we talked. We've had a lot of t- times where we've talked about Syracuse football and. You know, we've, we've acted like the world's coming down, and uh, I think it's moments like that that just remem- make you remember how fragile life is and uh, how ultimately it's just a game. Um, it is just a game. Um, it's points on a board. It, it ultimately doesn't matter. There's so many more important things. And, it's perspective. Uh, yeah, and it, it's just – it's. I think it's a real shock too when it's you know you it, it's players that you watch this season that you know kids it's hard kids yeah they're at the dawn of their lives yet and it it's just uh, it it's just hard to fathom yeah and it's uh, easy to get wrapped up in in rivalries and competition but um, the fact is that the University of Virginia is a, a beautiful institution full of wonderful wonderful people. Um, an institution that I have a lot of respect for and that I've really enjoyed watching our teams compete against. And I've had the pleasure of visiting Charlottesville and it's just a wonderful, wonderful place. It's a beautiful community and it's really hard to see something like this happen in their community again. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a community that's been through a lot the last couple of years and, um, you know, uh, they, they did cancel their game this coming week with Coastal Carolina. Uh, I, I can't imagine being inside that program. And, and, you know, I mean, they still have the game with Virginia Tech in another week. And I have no doubt they're going to go play that. Uh, I just feel like that's the kind of thing. It, it, 
they're gonna they're gonna go out there and give it their all, but um, it it's hard to imagine how you could gear yourself back toward football. I I have no doubt they will, but um, it's just it's just heartbreaking. And just, it'll be the kids. It'll be the players' decision, and they'll make the the best decision for themselves and and what they want to do. Whether the the best way to honor their teammates is to go out and compete or to to stay home and reflect, they'll they'll do what's right for them. Absolutely. And uh, you saw Virginia Tech uh, um, put the the colors, the Virginia colors, on the VT um, online, and and is uh, you know it, it's it's neat to see rivals you know, do those kinds of things, you know, in, in these horrific situations and, and, uh, and stand up and, and support their, their rival in a, in a really hard moment, a hard time. Um, with that, we'll, we'll roll into the opponent's scores. Um, so that Virginia team that we talked about lost on um, Saturday, 37-7 uh, to 7 to Pittsburgh. With that, Pittsburgh got their sixth win of the season, so they'll be headed to a bowl. Three and three overall, uh, three and three in conference. Tenth uh, ranked Clemson uh, got a 31-16 win over Louisville. That's for their ninth win of the season. They're seven and zero in conference. Clemson is the ACC Atlantic champ. They will play North Carolina in the ACC title game in a couple weeks. North Carolina beat Wake Forest 36-34. So, like we said, Wake Forest can score, and that North Carolina team uh, got the Coastal Division title with that. They will play Clemson in the ACC title game. North Carolina sits at nine and one, six and zero in conference. Boston College, we said they're better. Emmett Moorhead uh, has changed that program, and they beat a tough NC State team, twenty-one twenty. Two teams with new quarterbacks who've changed that, changed things for them. Uh, Boston College is three and seven. They're two and five in conference. They're not going to make it to a bowl this year, but. Uh, they look very different than they did, and there's hope for that program going forward. NC State drops to seven and three, three and three in conference. Uh, outside the conference, Purdue uh, got their sixth win of the season, uh, so they'll be headed to a bowl. They beat Illinois, thirty-one twenty-four. Illinois is now seven and three, uh, and I put that out there because uh, yeah, obviously former Syracuse quarterback Tommy DeVito's there. There was a lot of excitement there. They were seven and one at one point, but now they have. Two straight losses, uh, but like I said, Purdue six and four, four and three in conference. Notre Dame beat Navy thirty-five, thirty-two. Kind of disheartening to see that Navy put up a better fight than Syracuse did. Um, but uh, Notre Dame improves to seven and three on the season. And how about UConn? UConn upset our old friends Liberty thirty-six to thirty-three. Handing Liberty only their second loss, and with that, UConn is six and five. They are headed to a bowl game for the first time since 2015. They outscored Liberty 15 to six in the fourth quarter. I, I mean, it's pretty surprising, Joe. Is it possible UConn faces an unfortunate uphill battle to get into a bowl game if they don't win another game? If if there are enough bowl eligible teams and they're an independent, they don't have the luxury of an automatic tie-in. They could still struggle to to get into a game. With all the bowl games at this point, inevitably, I feel like you know you've seen a lot of five and seven teams get into bowls and stuff. Not the I last kinda, couple of years, though. Well, I I still think, but but a lot of bowl games got canceled the last two years, though, too. So yeah, I I think I think they're gonna find their way in. They deserve uh, it. Yeah, I mean, they, they Jim Moore is really brought that program to respectability from being one of the worst FBS programs. Yeah, he really has. And and I would also say, I think UConn is going to have seven wins because they play army next and army's offense. It, army's really been struggling this year. So I think they'll be seven and five when the season's done. And then finally Wagner, they lost to sacred heart 38, 28. They're one and nine, one and five in conference. It's time to take a look at the bowl projections. All right, so the bowl projections have changed quite a bit in the last <laughs> four weeks. Uh, so ESPN, Kyle uh, Bonagura and Mark Schleibach are both saying the Fenway Bowl 
One says Memphis as the opponent. The other says Cincinnati. I'm going to go ahead and say that now. I hate both of those matchups. Neither of those favor Syracuse at all. Those are offenses that are really solid offenses. Um, Jerry Palm at CBS is saying the Gasparilla Bowl versus Buffalo. That's December 23rd in Tampa. Sports <laughs> Illustrated still. Th- You're going to take Syracuse and Buffalo and bring them there in the middle of December? Apparently. <laughs> bring Apparently. them to Florida? Right. So then they can get stuck <laughs> at the airport trying to get home. Uh, uh, Sports Illustrated is still saying the Holiday Bowl. I don't know why. I don't know what they think we're going to do in the last two weeks. Because to me, that means at least 7-5, and five, if not 8-4, and four, which would mean winning the last two. Against Washington, though. So that would be in San Diego. That's a nice place to be. 247 Sports, they're saying the Fenway Bowl against Tulane. I like that matchup better than the other two, but don't sleep on Tulane. That's a nice team. Uh, Brett McMurphy, he's saying the Gasparilla Bowl versus Coastal Carolina. Let me jump in there and say, please, no. You do not want to play Coastal Carolina. That team, I think you can draw a gazillion comparisons to Liberty and Appalachian State. They find the diamonds of in the rough that are in the two-foot-deep rough that nobody, the guys that nobody looked at and that have something to prove, and they go out and they punch above their weight every freaking year. Coastal Carolina has been an FBS program for like three or four years, and they're already like going to be in their third bowl game. They punch above their weight consistently. Please do not let us play them. Worth mentioning when you bring that up is what JMU has done in Absolutely. one season. It's scary. They were five and zero and ranked. And they the went. Fact- they. It's not just like oh, like we we had some success. They were the best program at the FCS level. They could have just stayed and won championships. Instead, they made the leap, and I believe they petitioned to have their transition hastened. And they made a quicker transition than usually what was required. And they were competitive right off the bat. Yeah. And and the thing that gets me about the JMU thing is there's a stupid rule where they're not allowed to compete in a bowl game. Because I, I don't know who makes these rules. But something about them not being able to compete in a bowl game because it's their first year in FBS, even though they have the wins to make a bowl. It's stupid. Their transition's more impressive than Appalachian State's was, which was oh. also incredible. Yeah. I mean, let's just, yeah, looking at this, right now they are 6-3 and three with uh, two games left. Then they should win at least one of those. Their other one's Coastal Carolina, November 26th. That's worth watching. That That's going to be a great game. Uh, I mean, they and it's not just that they were winning, Joe. It's what the how they were winning. They're hammering people. Look at this. Their first game is an FBS program. They beat Middle Tennessee 44-7. to Scott Schaefer's defense didn't do so hot. No. Then they beat Texas State 40-13. to They beat Appalachian State by four. All right, so that was a close game. They beat Arkansas State on the road 42-20. to I mean, they – and then they beat Old Dominion on the road. Old Dominion, a team who – has this notorious thing about beating Virginia Tech. They beat them 37 to 3. <laughs> what? This team. <laughs> They're amazing. They're they were probably amazing. hoping that would be like a new in-state rivalry and it was not. No. Uh let me let me just say this. If if anybody's listening put these kids in a bowl game. Put them in a bowl game. They should be in a bowl game, not against Syracuse, but put them in a bowl game. Sporting News has Syracuse in the Sun Bowl versus Oregon State. That's another one. They're they're counting on at least one more win. Uh, college Football News, the Fenway Bowl, Cincinnati. Again, please don't. Uh, Pro Football Network, the Duke's Mayo Bowl. There you go. We can get a we can get Dino a mayonnaise bath if we win. 
Uh, they they dump the mayonnaise out of the Gatorade bucket on the winning coach. It takes a while though, so they're just standing there for like forty five seconds waiting for it to ooze out. It's really uncomfortable. <laughs> <watch>. <laughs> Here it comes, <laughs> and and that's against Maryland, uh, another team that started real hot and then things have kind of gone downhill. They got shut out by Penn State this past week, and then Nate Mink at Syracuse dot com is saying the Pinstripe Bowl versus our old friend Tommy DeVito in Illinois. I don't want that matchup. I don't really like any of these matchups too much. I think the only one I'm kind of okay with is Tulane. You don't like many matchups when your team's playing awful in all three phases of the game. (laughs) Because, look, these are good group of five teams, Joe. Memphis, Cincinnati, Tulane, Coastal Carolina. Those are teams, I'll be honest, today, if we had to play any of those teams this weekend, I'd pick us to lose. And frankly... I think we'd beat Buffalo because the, the Mac is pretty weak this year. Uh, Washington and Oregon State, nope. Maryland, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we can beat anybody with the way we're playing right now. Uh, so yeah. let's, let's hope we figure something out down the stretch here. Well, just to end on a, a real high note, keep, keep the good times rolling. Syracuse basketball needs to figure something out. Oh, an 80 to 68 loss to Colgate. We now have a two game losing streak to the Colgate Raiders of Hamilton, New York and the Patriot League. Uh, it just wasn't pretty. Nothing went well. I, again, I think we go back to Joe, your old all phases of the game were off. It's bad. It's bad. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't really have anything to say. I, I know we have a young team and I know they have to learn and they're going to struggle, but, um, you watched the highlights of that game. A lot of it was effort. The effort just wasn't there. I think we kind of walked in thinking it'd be a breeze and we could win the game without a whole lot of effort. And it turns out Colgate's a good team that moves the ball and hits threes. And we couldn't stop him from doing that. And um, a couple of things that are, are most concerning to me that I'll mention, because there's not a whole lot to talk about, like you said. Yeah. One is that the defense was bad in a lot of the same ways we've been seeing the defense be bad. Um, we played a lot of man last week. Uh, Jim scrapped that pretty early this week because the man wasn't working and he switched the zone and the zone was worse than the man, which was already bad. Um, but Jim stayed in the zone because that's kind of what his, his crutch is and he falls back on it, but it, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And I think they would have been better off just sticking with man man defense in that instance because the one thing we can say is that our team is athletic and i think they would have fared a little better just playing straight up man defense but the defense was bad all around the second thing is that um the offense was just so so stagnant which is something we've been finding ourselves saying for a number of years now guys don't move great without the ball um the ball itself doesn't move much when we have offense lots of iso ball with with just bogged down nonsense offense and i was hopeful because in the exhibitions and a little bit against lehigh you were seeing jim Beheim run plays run offense to get gerard open and to get jesse the ball down low and then it's just back to our old ways of just kind of winging it and it not going too well no ball movement no off ball movement and um, I'm tired of seeing the other team's best three-point shooter just be open. You know, they pass the ball around, and they're, they're a good ball-moving team, but we overcommit and over-rotate and sell out so hard that all it takes is a second pass and somebody is wide open, and we've been seeing that for years now. So it's not just that it was bad and we lost them again. It said it <laughs> said it continues to be bad in the same ways that we've been seeing for a number of years, and that's disheartening because that kind of shows nothing's going to change. Yeah, and you got two games coming up, Joe. That I mean, this isn't going to get. I mean, you got Northeastern. Northeastern's zero two. You should beat them. That's Saturday at, at one, uh, and then they've got Richmond. I don't like. I don't know if I like that Richmond matchup. Richmond, Richmond's usually decent, decent mid-major team. Uh, 
I mean, I, you know, I said last week when we did the preview, I said that I thought this team could have a really good start to the season. And it still could. You know, maybe, maybe they figure something out. Maybe they had a really bad, awful game, but. A young team can be volatile. A young team can be real volatile. So it yeah. could be a, a bad game, and you know they could improve drastically. It's it's possible just because um, there's so many new players. You could kind of see things click a little better. So hopefully this was uh, a little a little valley in our season that we're going to see kind of work towards a peak. Um, could it's be a worse. lot to ask. You know, it may not be there. May not be a lot of consistency this year, but. You just want to see them build up to something better, and that's what we need to look for over these next couple of games. It's the only thing you can ask for is that just build, get better. Um, you know, I, I look at that, and it's really the only thing you can ask for is if this is to be a rebuilding year that they just consistently get better. Yeah, but if you look at um, – a link to Twitter that Brett sent us earlier. It's um, Brandon Shields, Shields on Hoops, who we've interacted with a little bit on Twitter. He uh, yeah. kind of broke down the game with some some video and is all about the effort or lack thereof. And a lot of it is Joe Girard, who's supposed to be your senior leader. Yeah. And he just fails to defend, doesn't get a hand up, doesn't get back on defense. And you, you can't see that from a, your one of your few veteran players on a team like this. You know, this college basketball defense matters. You know, if you look at the NBA, it's all about offense. That's why all the games are into the hundreds. College basketball defense matters. You got to have to play defense. It, it, that's just, you're not going to win games if you don't play good defense. And you still got to, you know, and to be frank, Syracuse is not a good enough shooting team to let that slide. You know, if you're a good enough shooting team, theoretically, you could let it slide some. Syracuse isn't that team. I'm sure there's a lot of questions being asked about Jim Bayheim right now and everything else. I know people were messaging me about that. I don't think this is the time to look, you got him. Jim Bayheim's gonna be the coach this year, so everybody might as well stop that conversation right now. <laughs> you know, that's not gonna fix anything. The the only thing it's the players on the court, they've got to do the work. The only person that can stop Jim Bayheim from being the coach of this basketball team is a grave digger. Oh, he's going to he's going to be there. I don't think he's ever going to retire. I think he's going to be the coach until the day that he takes his last breath. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably true. Um, And I mean, I, I I hope he has many years still ahead of him. Yeah, not he's a healthy guy. I'm not saying that he's he's on his deathbed or anything. I'm saying that he strikes me as someone who will never retire. He will coach until he physically cannot. Yeah, my only concern is is you. I I said this last year, and uh, it's just I I have this fear you're moving into the Bobby Bowden phase, where you know Florida State toward the end of Bobby Bowden's tenure, as wonderful as Bobby Bowden's tenure was at Florida State, and he built Florida State from nothing. To be clear, Florida State was not a good football program before Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden's the one that made Florida State what it is. Uh. It, it started to slide in the last years. Now, they bounced back. Jimbo Fisher brought them back, and then they kind of hit another rough patch, and now they seem to be on the on the rise again. But, you know, Jim Beheim is the one that made Syracuse basketball what it is, and you would hate to think that he brings it in the wrong direction. Too. Like I said, it could be worse. It could be Louisville right now. Uh, Louisville, Louisville's awful. I mean, they lost three games that you never guessed Louisville would lose. It's hard to imagine. I said to somebody, there's a chance Louisville might be one of the worst teams in the ACC. I can't even believe I'm saying that. They, I lost, really one of their, they lost one of their exhibitions to yeah. a Division Two. Although, you know, yeah. one of our best teams ever did that. But this right. is a little different. This is different because what they've done since has shown that, that there's something wrong in Louisville, Kentucky, and which is hard to imagine when you're talking about basketball. I mean, that's just one of those schools you think of when you think college basketball. So it's going to be a weird year in the ACC. <laughs> we can already tell. Uh, there's going to be the same couple at the top, but Syracuse is going to have a weird year, and Louisville's going to have a weird year, and who knows what the heck's going to happen here. It's, it's a strange one. But um, 
that's all we have for this week. It was a long episode. There was a lot to cover. Uh, I know that we have promised the women's basketball preview and then soccer won their title and football, you know, got into, you know, we needed to talk a lot. Uh, so next episode, we'll make sure to talk about the women's basketball team, which, by the way, is doing better than the men's team. Um, they've got a couple of W's already on the season. Felicia Leggett-Jack, she's got the program started the way that you want it to. And, uh, you know, it, largely the old Buffalo team. She uh, stockpiled that- talent fast, which speaks a lot to her character that so many players wanted to follow her here. And And the thing I like is there's a real potential to build the program in a healthy way which is clearly what was not done under the previous coach whose name shall not be mentioned. I really think Syracuse can get themselves back to that spot where it was at and be a competitor in the ACC and on the national level. And that would be wonderful. And, and to see it done in the healthy right way with a good coach. And like I said, we'll get into that our next episode and talk about that. We'll also talk by that time about what happened in wake and, uh, and, We'll talk about the BC game and everything, and, and then we will uh, have to talk about bowl games. Uh, whether you're ready for it or not, there's one coming. So, And we're not too far away from the Holiday Festival show, which is always exciting. We didn't get to do one last year. Uh, we will do one this year, uh, and it may include a bowl preview, so that's exciting. Uh, but look, if you got the 1990 NCAA lacrosse trophy, make sure to let us know. We just want to know that it's safe. Follow us on Twitter at 3ILPod. Like us on Facebook, 3 Idiots and a Lawyer. Until next time, for Joe Shell, I'm Matt Pfeiffer. We will see you next week.